the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Over the years, one of my favorite ministries to be a part of has been uh, the Tennessee Christian Teen Convention, also known as TCTC. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, these days, uh, Billy, Noah, Aubrey, a whole bunch of other people play larger roles than I do, but I still get to help out. And one of my favorite things, this sounds weird, but I love that there's a bunch of us that end up at TCTC with these all access passes. And there's like this camaraderie about it. And the thing is, all of us, every single one of us who's on that team, that behind the scenes team, we're there for everybody who just attends. We're serving them. We're building stages and whatever else we have to do to serve them. The point is that we're not better than them or trying to do anything special. <clears throat> Excuse me. But at the same time, when we all finally get to TCTC and it starts happening and there's like this camaraderie. There's like, hey, we've done something together. This is a team. And there's a real sense of that. And those little badges represent that. Well, in a weird way, the word elelon in Greek is that kind of a symbol to me. And, and I hope that it's starting to become clearer and be, become more of a symbol like that to you. Because it implies a sense of belonging and identity. We are God's people. We are the ones who treat each other in specific ways. We do certain things. We don't do certain things to each other. And it's not that we don't care about the rest of the world. We do. That's one of the things we do together. And that's the main reason that we have to get all the things God says we do for each other and with each other right. So far in the last couple of weeks, we've looked at a lot of things that have to do with speaking more than anything else. We speak the truth in love. We pray for one another. We harmonize with each other. And we build one another up. We intentionally speak specific truths and help train each other and, and help each other get better. We encourage each other when things are down. Always speaking the truth. Always speaking the truth in love. And the point, again, is that we are trying to motivate one another. It's not just that we're trying to feel good or have this sense of camaraderie, but we find that camaraderie in our joint service, in our joint uh, passion to reach the rest of the world, to invite the rest of the world into this community that we are experiencing. And Paul's talking about all of this in Ephesians 4 when he writes, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And this begins by one of the very clear teachings, what we do for one another, that word alelon, it's translated one another, and it means the other people in the body of Christ. We accept one another. In the same way that grace allows us to become Christ's followers in the first place. When we share Christ's grace with others, it makes it possible for all of us to grow and serve together. If we don't extend grace, that's impossible because none of us are perfect. We're all on a journey. We're all trying to get better at this thing that Jesus has called us to do. But when we offer grace, we're acknowledging not that it doesn't matter what's right or wrong. It absolutely does. What we're acknowledging is what Paul continues to say in this same passage. He says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. 
one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. When we extend grace to one another, we're acknowledging that we are all under the authority of God. He is over all. That whatever is good in any of us is God himself working through us or God's design being redeemed in us and us becoming what he created us to be and meant us to be. And that whatever unity we can't find among each other, we can find that the Holy Spirit of God himself is in each one of us. God is over all and through all and in all. This has always been a struggle because God's church by his design are made up of human beings and human beings are not gods. And even in the story of Acts, which I love, if you've never read the entire book of Acts, you should just sit down. It's a rollicking good story period full of smaller, great stories, but it's also true. It's one of the most historically backed up and precise books in the New Testament. There's so much goodness in there. But in Acts chapter 15, there's this thing that happens where Peter had already been, that's a whole nother story of itself, but Peter had finally, finally been messed with enough by God and his Holy Spirit that he got it, that the Gentiles were being invited into God's kingdom just as much as the Jews were. And then there's this whole other situation where they're, they've been sending out mission trips that Paul and Barnabas and a few others have been going out. They've started all these new churches and now there's these Gentile believers and the Jewish Christians are really upset because the new Gentile believers are not even interested in following Jewish customs. And they're like, how can you follow Messiah and not also follow all the Jewish traditions? So they have this big thing and they're trying to work it out. And they get Peter, they get Paul, Barnabas, they've got James. They've got a whole bunch of people together in this chapter. And finally, Peter speaks up and he talks about his experience with the Gentiles and how he saw God moving among them in Acts 15 verses 8 and 9. He says, God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. And again, he talks about how now as Messianic Jews, as Christians who still are Jews in one way or another, that they know that they're not saved by the law, but by their faith in Jesus. Verse 11, he says, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. I love the crowd's response here. Instead of getting mad, instead of screaming at each other, instead of people like marching out and just getting upset, here's what happens. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Paul and Barnabas telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And when they finished, James spoke up. That's Jesus's half-brother, Mary and Joseph's son, James, who This is kind of the moment that he starts to become the great leader in the church in Jerusalem that he became. And he's also the one who wrote the book of James. We'll quote him in a moment. But here comes James. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. They came up with a really good plan. They collectively together wrote a carefully worded letter inviting the Gentiles to say, listen, we're going to accept you and we're not going to require you to follow Jewish customs. 
We're going to accept you as followers of Jesus and let you do that with his leading, with the Holy Spirit's leading. And they sent a team to go and unpack that letter, not just deliver it, but be there to, to show that they really do want to connect with these brothers. It was a very courageous act of grace on their part. It was a very huge step. And honestly, most of us today, most of the Morrison Hill people I know are not genetically Jewish people. So as Gentiles, we would not even know Jesus if this had not happened. That's the power of grace being extended strategically. One of Morrison Hill's core values that we actually post certain places is that when we extend grace to others, that begins their process of restoration. When we extend grace to others, it begins their process of restoration. We don't talk about those core values over and over. We don't make people memorize them because those are our ways to understand and frame the conversations to make sure we're following the scripture. What we really are passionate about is pointing people back to the scripture itself, to Jesus himself. But this is a very important truth that I want to emphasize today. When we extend grace to others, especially one another within God's people, that begins a process of true restoration. And if we don't extend that grace, true restoration just cannot happen. Paul writes in Romans 12, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That's anyone, everywhere. He says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Again, there's no alelon implied at this point. It's saying anybody who rejoices or mourns, we can be there for them, and we should. But then he has some very precise advice for Christians. He says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. And this idea of association, I hear that word in English and what I think of is just being in the same room. Be willing to eat at the same restaurant, maybe ride in the same car. But it's so much deeper than that. What he's talking about is a concept of much like a ley loan, that word that we translate it as associated, it means you team up with that person. You identify as someone who is a friend of theirs or family of theirs. There's a belonging there. And they're saying, hey, don't be conceited. You're identifying with the other Christians, whether they're getting it right or not, whether you agree with them or not about every single detail. They're part of the body and you acknowledge that. Peter says, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. And again, he's talking about the other Christians. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Jesus Christ had. This is Paul now. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. And thank God God does extend grace to all of us, or none of us could be in his presence. None of us could be in each other's presence. We all need that grace. I love how Peter's whole story, not just in Acts 15, but his whole story shows that where he's learning to accept the grace from Jesus. He's extending that grace to others, learning how to do that. 
I don't think that it was an accident at all that Jesus, when he restored Peter and he said, if you love me, feed my sheep. And then he went a little deeper and he said, if you love me, feed my lambs. I think he was trying to tell Peter a a little bit, a hint of what was about to come, that he's going to have to not only shepherd the people who have already been following the good shepherd for a little while, but he's going to have to shepherd the brand new baby Christians as well, the brand new followers. And that takes extra grace. Peter was also the one, if you remember, who made the great confession. He was the first person to say out loud that he believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the son of the living God. And that leads us to the next super important thing that we do this morning. Uh, We don't just do it this morning, that we're talking about doing this morning. We confess to one another. We confess to one another. When we confess, that means that we say out loud something that is true. So sometimes that is confessing Something true, like I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And there's power in that. There's power in that. Just like there's danger in saying that we believe something that isn't true. But when we actually say something that's true and we embrace it, we confess it, we proclaim it, we sing it, we pray it, we post it, whatever it is, there's power. It's transformative. But at the same time, confession also means lovingly, honestly, speaking the truth when we fail, asking for forgiveness, confessing that what we have done is wrong, it's sin, and we need forgiveness from God and also from one another, from a laylon. Paul writes to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Later, he writes to him, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Again, when we confess something that's true, it's a proclamation. It's a line in the sand. It's it's putting a chip on your shoulder or whatever you might want to say. It's saying, this is me. This is who I am. This is what I do. And as God's people together, this is who we are. This is what it is. We confess the name of Jesus. Therefore, we turn away from what Jesus calls wickedness. And John writes, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. James, we mentioned him earlier, There he writes, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And that word healed is important there. It, it can mean, and I believe it does mean, literal physical healing. At least many times it does. But what what that word, the core idea of that word is also deeper than most English words. It, it really means restored, fixed, put right again, um, reconciled. It, it means things go back to how they were. It's tied in with the concept of peace, reine in Greek, shalom in Hebrew, that idea of being healed. It's like we're by Jesus' stripes, we're healed. It means it's actually putting things back how they should be again, period. 
whatever that means at the time. And, and sometimes, very, very often, hear me on this, that requires us to confess our sins to one another. Not necessarily a pastor or a priest or someone else that, that's an official Christian. Most likely, according to the teachings of Jesus himself, I believe it means we confess to the people we have hurt, the people we have sinned against. We acknowledge the sin that we have and we ask for forgiveness. And that begins the process of true restoration. We can actually be healed. Now it comes to the big thing that all of this is part of, all of this is leading up to, all of this is expressed in. And that is that as God's people, we forgive one another. We forgive one another. That's so hard and easily misunderstood. I hope you've heard this before, but no matter, even if you have, I know how hard this is for all of us human beings. I want to make this very clear. When we forgive what we're actually doing is releasing ourselves from making sure that the other person suffers for their sin. Sometimes you can forgive someone and they don't change at all. Sometimes you forgive them, and that's always the dream, by the way. You forgive them and that starts restoration. But our job as Christians is we forgive one another regardless of how they respond. We forgive the person who sinned against us regardless of how they respond. And when we do that, forgiveness frees us and it starts a process of true restoration in our own hearts and lives. And that's a necessary step that has to happen if there's going to be reconciliation at all. Often, many, many times I've seen that when someone is willing to forgive the other person, that does start a process like that. But it can't happen unless forgiveness happens. Paul writes to the Ephesians, be kind and compassionate to one another. As in, this is how you are all the time. You are kind to one another. You are compassionate to one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. In other words, this is your habit. This is your rhythm. This is how you roll. You forgive one another, just as in Christ, God forgave you. You might have noticed, as I pointed out over the last couple of weeks, we keep coming back to a certain key passages. One is Ephesians 4, the whole chapter. One is Romans 12, the whole chapter. Another one is Colossians 3. Each one of these passages happen to be places where Paul is just outlining some basics to these different churches he's writing to and saying, Seriously, this is what it looks like to be the people of God. And they're just chock full of these alone ideas. We don't do this to each other. We do do this for each other. In Colossians 3, in the middle of it, Paul writes this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another, if any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. To the Romans, he writes, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. 
I got to pause for a second and break this one down. We're starting to come around the home stretch here, and I hope you're still listening. I hope you hear this. There's so many ways to break this particular verse down, but what I need you to hear this morning is this. The idea of passing judgment on someone is where we condemn them, where we say, I'm not going to forgive them. I don't think God should. I want to make sure that they pay for what they have done. And he said, we've got to stop doing that. We cannot do that to one another. Instead, we've got to make up our minds that we don't put anything between that other person. We don't give them any reason. We, we have to make sure that we don't make it harder on them to get things right with God or for them to get things right with other people. For we, We've got to make it as easy as possible on them to get things right, not try to make ourselves responsible to make them pay for what they've done wrong. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for one another, good for a long, the body of Christ. Always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Again, we're coming in the next couple of weeks, we're gonna look at what does the body of Christ do for the whole world all the time. But you see both, they're, they're in there. We are always doing what's good for each other and for everyone else. That's one of the things we do. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. It's very important we understand what that idea of covering over means because here's what I hear. I hear cover up and that's not what it's about. Love does not shove sin under the rug. Love does not pretend it doesn't work or, or lie about it or enable it. That's not love. It, that, that phrase covers over a multitude of sins is a reference to the Old Testament idea of sacrifice and to Jesus' ultimate sacrifice for our sins on the cross, his victory over sins with the resurrection. It's a covering. It's, it's not so much that it's covering it up in the sense of hiding, it's not that at all. Instead, it's, I've got this covered. The price has been paid. Uh, there is no more payment that needs to be made for that sin. We can now move on. And he's saying, above all, love each other deeply because love takes care of all of that stuff. Love has all that covered. Love is able to overcome lots of hurt lots of sins, lots of genuine problems that we have to accept each other about, that we have to confess to one another about, that we have to forgive one another about. But it's possible. One story that has just rocked my world ever since I first heard it. If you've heard me speak and mention forgiveness before, you've probably heard this story from me. But I, I'm, I'm going to tell it again because it's, it's so powerful to me. It's something that literally pops in my head every time I'm asking forgiveness or need to forgive someone else. But Corey Ten Boom was part of a family that um, spent a lot of time in World War II protecting Jewish people and a few other people from going to concentration camps. They used a, a secret room in their house that they called the hiding place to protect them and then they'd feed them and they'd smuggle them out of there. But eventually they got caught and they all ended up in a 
um, concentration camp called Ravensbrück. Fast forward to an amazing story that if you haven't ever heard that whole story, I hope you go back. There's two movies about it now. There's a great book. She's got other great books about what she learned. But in Munich, in 1947, Corrie ten Boom was speaking at a church and sharing her testimony and sharing what God had laid on her heart about how to extend forgiveness. And there was a man out in the crowd that she recognized all of a sudden. He had been one of the guards at Ravensbrook. She had very specific memories about him as a guard. And it really, it really shook her. It shook her even more that after it was all over, he came forward and wanted to talk to her. And he's standing in line with a whole bunch of other people. When he finally got up to the front of the line, he, he, he confessed to her. And he said, listen, I, I don't know if you recognize me, but I was one of the guards who did terrible things to you at Ravensbrook. He said, since then, I have become a believer. I'm now a Christian, but I am asking you to forgive me. And I love how Corey Tim Boom tells that story because she said she realized in that moment she had to, but she didn't want to. She had to forgive him because Jesus himself said, if we don't forgive others, their sins, that God won't forgive ours. And she wanted her sins forgiven, so she had to forgive this man. But at the same time, she realized she absolutely could not do that on her own. And she prayed this very simple prayer. Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. The guy was holding his hand out in front of her. and All this is going on in her heart. He's putting his hand out asking her, would you forgive me? She says, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And she said that even in that moment, she felt an actual feeling of warmth go down her arm as she extended it. And she felt even more importantly in in her heart, in her soul, she realized God was empowering her. The spirit inside her was allowing her to do something she could not do on her own. And by the time she grasped this man's hand with both hands and shook it and looked him in the eye, she was able to honestly say, I forgive you, brother. I forgive you from the heart. That's what it looks like. It's almost always something that's beyond us. It's not something that we just naturally do or feel like doing, but it's something that's possible when we're obedient, when we treat other believers the way Christ has commanded us to. We choose to accept one another. And again, accepting does not mean that you just pretend that what they're doing is wrong, that you cover it up somehow. That's not it at all. Remember in Hebrews 6, it says that it's impossible for God to lie. God never says, okay, fine, I changed my mind. That's not going to be a sin anymore. But he does keep loving us. He does keep claiming us. Much like the father in the story of the prodigal son, he he doesn't endorse the sin. He doesn't endorse the rebellion and the stupidity, but he does endorse his son. He does welcome him home. He loves us. He claims us. He gives us everything that we need to change, including time and second and umpteen chances. That's what it means to accept one another. That's what it means to come back, let somebody else come back. We also confess to one another. And again, that is proclaiming the truth, proclaiming the power of God, proclaiming the supernatural ability that he gives us to 
forgive, to confess, to accept, all of these things, we confess that truth. And also, when necessary, and believe me, brothers and sisters, it will be if it hasn't been already, we confess our sin to one another. We confess where we've been wrong. We proclaim the truth. We lovingly speak the truth out loud to one another. And finally, again, what this means is we forgive one another. There's something crazy that happens when we hold on to forgiveness. I've heard it described several ways. One is it's when we don't forgive someone else, it's like drinking poison, hoping that they will die. It, it doesn't make any sense. It actually sets us free more than it sets the other person free. But it begins that process when we choose to forgive. And, and just like Corey Tim Boom said, we have to. Jesus himself taught us to pray every day. Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And right after he taught us that prayer, he straight up said, for if you do not forgive others their sins, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your sins. So here's the question this morning. Whom do you need to forgive? Maybe it's God. Maybe there's something going on in your life right this minute that you don't want to accept that God allows. You don't want to accept that God is not answering that prayer or, or whatever it is. Maybe there's truly anger against you. You don't want God to have everything in you because you're upset about that. Maybe you need to forgive God. Maybe you need to let that go and that will start a process of true restoration in you and reconcile you with God. Maybe it's someone else. Most often I think it's that second option. Maybe there's a very specific person that while I've been sharing these truths with you this morning, while I've been confessing this truth to you this morning, somebody specific is popping in your head and you're going, oh yeah, but I'm going to make them pay though. It's time to let that go, brothers and sisters. It's time. We've got to be able to forgive other people. And I don't know about you, but I know for me, the hardest person always for me to forgive is myself. And I encourage you, I'm accepting this truth myself. I'm confessing it out loud lovingly that if God's willing to forgive us, if other people are willing to forgive us so that reconciliation can happen, then absolutely we should be able to forgive ourselves. Whatever God is calling you to do this morning, I, I encourage you to do that. We're gonna give you just a couple of moments here to, to, uh, to just be still as we rearrange one more time and we're gonna sing a song together and then we're gonna take communion. But I'd like you wherever you are this morning to take, just take this time, bow your head, close your eyes, do whatever you need to do with God. Do that business that you need to take care of with him this morning. Forgive him, forgive someone else, forgive yourself. Let him set you free this morning.